This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Looking forward to sharing some time with you together today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'll be guiding our time together for the rest of the morning, the next 40 minutes or so, as we continue to engage with God. And I just want to invite you to make yourself at home. Whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, you belong here. This is a space for you. So get comfortable, kick off your shoes if you want to, grab some coffee, grab some tea, uh, and get ready to enjoy yourself this morning. We are in uh, the end of a teaching series, and so if you're brand new with us today, I would say that this is like the epilogue to a really good nine-chapter book. So if you hear something that you really enjoy today and you think, oh, that's really, that's intriguing, oh, I want to know more about that, you can download our podcast if you just search for New Life Petaluma. You can download the podcast and listen to all these messages, or you can go onto our website, newlifepetaluma.org, and you can pull those up there. Or you can like us on Facebook and you can watch the videos. And we're trying to get a way that we can get the the videos onto podcasts or maybe get an app as well. But if you're interested today, if you're intrigued today, there is plenty of opportunity to go back. And I know what you've been thinking. My days are pretty empty and I just wish I could listen to Pastor Kevin all the time. So you're welcome. I say that because I want to give a gift to you because today marks the halfway mark to Christmas. So there's a little present for you. Yeah. For those of you who love this horrible cold weather, yay, Christmas is coming. Um, can you believe it swung like 30 degrees? Oh, I'm dying. I'm like a chihuahua when I go outside. It's like, it's so, so cold. How did this happen? What happened to 104? On Father's Day, I, I got home from church and just ready to relax and enjoy, bask in the glory of being a father. And Maria called and said, hey, one of our tires looks a little low on the car. And she got home. Sure enough, we picked up a screw. So I spent Father's Day in 103 degree heat changing a tire, which felt very manly. It really did. (laughs) But I didn't even care that it was 103 degrees because I love hot weather. But if you like this weather, if you've been praying against me and praying for this, you're welcome. God must love you more than he loves me. So anyway, I'm just kidding. He loves me more than he loves you. Uh, (laughs) My wife liked that. I heard you laugh. Hey, when you walked in, you should have received a program. In it, you're going to want to grab two things. One, this card that says start here. Uh, This is your all-access pass to our pastoral team. This is how we can pray for you, support you, partner with you, help you get plugged into an area of ministry, answer questions for you. So you're going to want to fill this out. If you're a guest, maybe with your name and email address or best way to contact you, we won't abuse that information. We simply want to be a resource to you. So go ahead and get that ready. Uh, In about a half hour, we'll pass some baskets and you can just drop this into the basket when it's passed. You're also going to want the teaching notes. Uh, They will kind of give you the Bible verses we're looking at today. They've got some fill in the blanks. Today is more of a teaching than a preaching. And so there's some really interesting stuff that I'd love for you to take home and chew on and kind of think about as we go. And if you don't know the difference between teaching and preaching, um, when my voice cracks, I'm preaching because I get really excited with my voice. I, like, I'm like Screech uh, from Saved by the Bell. Uh, this is more of a teaching. I want to teach us some things because I remember this saying, and you've all heard it before, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish. You've, I, I assume you've all heard this before. This is fun. I'm teaching you something brand new already. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for life. But I actually heard a more accurate uh, statement. It went like this. Give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish. You have to buy him a rod and a reel, 
fishing line, a hook. You have to buy him a knife. Basically, you have to teach and equip a man to fish. And here's what this series has been. This series has been us kind of as a church saying, this is our manifesto for how spiritual maturity happens. This is how spiritual growth actually takes place. And over the last nine weeks, we've been endeavoring to teach you how to fish, not just to give you a pole, but to give you a rod and a reel and fishing line and a hook and a net so that you can have the tools you need to learn how to grow on your own. Because we are wholly dissatisfied with the traditional model of spiritual growth that most faith communities have. And they follow this, and if you've been with us, you know where we're going. They follow basically a two-part model, know more and do more. If you know more and do more, you will grow in your relationship with God. You will become spiritually mature. But we know that that is not always the case. In fact, people who know the most, if they have not engaged with God, according to the Bible, are in the most dangerous place of any Jesus follower. Did you know that? Yeah. In fact— 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says this. If you know, and I mean know a lot, but do not know how to love, then you're just puffed up, arrogant, elitist. People who know the most but have never engaged with God in the process are actually in a very dangerous place spiritually because we become puffed up and we think it's all about what I know and how much information I can take in. And we turn this movement that's supposed to be a transforming everybody's welcome community into an elitist club that says, how much do you know? Are you in or are you out? And those of us who, who know the most but do not do anything with it, are actually not really that close to God. In fact, Jesus tells us that um, the demons, they know God. In fact, did you know that, that demons, and we don't have to get into this whole thing right now, but they know more about God than I do. They know more about God than you do. But they're not close to God. They're not spiritually mature. See, there's a disconnect between knowing and spiritual growth. So we would say just knowing more isn't enough. And on the other side, just doing more does not actually cause growth if we're not engaged with God. If we simply do more, do more, do more, the chances are we'll become burned out, we'll become frustrated, we'll begin to blame other people or ourselves because the doing more is not translating into actually knowing God more fully the way that we were designed to know God. And the best we can achieve in terms of freedom in life is white-knuckling our way through life by simply doing more of the right stuff and doing less of the wrong stuff. And we're just wholly dissatisfied with that. As a church, we feel like there must be more. And Jesus says there is. And we've talked about this quite a bit in John chapter 15, and I've broken it up in different parts throughout this series, but I want to read the whole thing to you. And as I read it, I want you to look at the progression that Jesus lays out. It starts with remaining or engaging with God, and then he actually says certain things will happen in the process. So see if you can catch it as we go. It's in your notes, and it should be up on the screens. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now remain in me as I also remain in you. That word remain means keep on coming, keep on engaging. Don't ever stop. Don't walk away. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then Jesus says, I am the vine, in case you missed it, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you, and here's the promise, you will bear much fruit. You will produce the fruit that you actually long for simply by remaining. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why? Because this brings glory to God the Father, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my followers. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus says, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete in me. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that you would lay down your life for a friend. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give to you. This is my command. And this is how he wraps it up. That you love each other. Now there's a whole progression that goes there. That was a, that was a lot. I recognize in a, in a YouTube video culture, that was a lot of information to take in. So hopefully you tracked with me here. I can tell by the blank stares, you are tracking. Perfect. There's a flow that Jesus has there. And I want you, you can go back uh, and just kind of write out in your notes, verses four through seven, Jesus says, remain. If you remain in me, and I realize it's not in your notes after I said that, but you can just write remain in me. Verses four through seven. That means engage, keep on coming. If you do that, the next thing that happens in the progression, Jesus says, is that you will produce good fruit. It's a natural outpouring of engaging. If you engage, you will produce fruit. That good fruit could be anything from inner transformation in your life, freedom from patterns of brokenness that are hurting you and hurting other people. That good fruit could be uh, ways that we respond and react to others. I mean, it could be across the spectrum. Good fruit is the life that you and I desire to have, that we really deeply want. And then the third thing is this. We engage with God. The outpouring is good fruit. And finally, in verse 12 through 17, Jesus says, it will result in us serving and loving each other. It won't stop simply with me. It'll flow out into my marriage, my kids, but it won't stop there. It will flow out into my community my faith community, my larger community, into the world. It is the promise of the progression of spiritual growth. But oftentimes we start at the end. We start with, I need to love other people. I need to serve other people. That will prove that I'm doing enough good things. And then that will get me back to God. And so we take the progression backwards. When Jesus says the progression actually starts here, Keep on coming to me. Learn how to engage with me. Learn how to talk with me. We have had that whole chart for the last nine weeks about how to engage with God. Engaging will produce good fruit, which will translate into the way that we love 
and serve and lay our lives down for each other. Here's something that's really interesting. Spiritual maturity doesn't actually depend on how much you and I know, which is an odd thought, because for years we thought the most mature people are the people who know the most, but that's not accurate. In fact, you and I know people who are brand new in their relationship with God, and we use phrases like, they're on fire for God, they're so passionate. What do we mean? We mean that they are engaging with God every day. They might not know anything about the Bible. They might not have memorized a single Bible verse. They might not be serving anywhere, but we can tell there's something about them. They just keep on engaging with God every day. And they're some of the most mature people we know. On the other side of the spectrum, we've met people who have memorized large sections of the Bible. And based on Jesus' story about how transformation works in John 15, they are immature in their faith, even though they know the most. So it's not about how much we know. Here's what spiritual maturity depends on, and this is what we've been learning for the last nine weeks as we tie a bow on this series. One, that how we engage with God, with the things that we don't know, and the things that we don't like, really, really matters. How we engage with God with the things that we don't know, and especially the things that we don't like so much, is what defines spiritual maturity. When we get to something in the Bible that we don't understand or don't like or don't agree with, when we get to a place where we don't want to forgive, where we don't want to love, where it'd be easier to walk away than it would to stick, what we do in those moments are spiritually defining moments for us. If we choose to come back to God, we will grow spiritually. If we choose to engage with him, if we choose to walk our own path, we will become stunted in our faith. And we're recognizing through this journey that what we do is simply an outpouring of engagement with God. It is not manufactured and it's not proof. It's just an outpouring. The things that we do matter but we don't do them to prove that we're good enough. We do them because we've already met with God and God has guided us to them. Good fruit is simply the byproduct of that engagement. Which led me to a thought, and I shared this with about 100 of us, 150 of us or so. We did this Wednesday night study through the book of Galatians that we called Mac, and we studied for 13 weeks together, and we've had a lot of these conversations. So for those of you who are in Mac, this is a refresher course for you, but here's something that you might not know, which is a little disheartening for a communicator. Most of us forget 90% of what we've heard within 72 hours. So many of you were in Mac, and you're going to hear this and think, oh, that is, that's brilliant. That's brand new. Well, you're all going to think it's brilliant, but <laughs> right course. Uh, But you've already heard this, but here's the thing. This is so important, and it's woven throughout the story of the Bible. What I want to talk about right now is what does it look like for the church to partner with you in your own spiritual growth? What does that look like? I didn't put this in your notes because it was too cheesy, but I said in my notes, because I like to laugh when I write sermons, I said, what does it look like for New Life to partner with you, Life? Because that was just— Brilliant and really good. New life and you life. See, it's, it, it works. Um, but in your notes, it says the role of the church in the transformation process, not nearly as exciting. And I apologize. But what's the role of the church? What's our job? What should you expect from a good church? And by the way, you're in a good church. So what should you expect from us as a good church? 
in partnering with you in this process of transformation. And this is really helpful for you. This is why I would suggest you take notes, because the truth is we move and we change jobs and you'll be looking for churches at some point. And usually we look for three things in churches. Is the speaker good? By that I mean, do I like the cadence? Do I like the way that they communicate? Is the worship good? By that I mean, do they play the songs that I like? And is there some level of community? Those are fine. Those are, those are good. But that cannot be the basis of what we're looking for in a, a church. What we should be looking for in a church is, is this church creating space for engagement with God? That's what we should be looking for. And that is the role of the church. And I'm going to list off, I think, four or five things that I feel like and our, our leadership team feels like this is what it looks like to partner with you in your journey. The first is we need to create safe venues for you to engage with God. You and I aren't going to agree on everything that I say from stage. We aren't. Here's how I know. Because I've been on the staff for almost 10 years. And I said things earlier on in my leadership that, and I don't agree with myself now. <laughs> if you went back and listened to the podcast, you would say, wait a minute, he's actually teaching something different than, than that. We aren't going to always agree, and that's okay. Pastor Ron, our founding pastor, and I, he and I don't always agree on everything. We have different opinions, different thoughts. I used to think one of us had to be right and the other one had to be wrong. I remember going to him when I was 23 and he taught on, on the Tower of Babel, which is neither here nor there in the larger story, right? But he taught on it and I thought, no, that doesn't sound right to me. I was 23. Clearly I knew everything. And so I went to him after service as he's hugging everybody, you know, and he's doing his Ron thing, making a swim move, grabbing you, you know, giving you a hug. If you've never met Ron, just wait. You're going to go to shake his hand and he's going to smack it out of the way. He's going to wrap you up. And I went to Ron, and he went to give me a hug. I said, I'm sorry, we need to clarify something. Uh, I actually disagree with what you said about the, the way you taught the Tower of Babel. I think it's actually this, and you said it's this. And, and Ron looked at me, and he said, well, you know what? You could be right. You could be right. I could see how you could read it that way. This is the way I understand it, but you could be right. <laughs> I thought to myself, no, I'm sorry. Either I'm right or you're right. And we need to clarify this because this is a very important topic when it comes to our faith, the Tower of Babel, clearly. I mean, we spend nights thinking about the Tower of Babel. And I learned something as Ron led me and mentored me, that we're not always going to agree with each other. And that's okay. See, the church is supposed to create a context for a conversation that you can have with God. That I want to say things that spark controversy that spark questions, that get us thinking. If you agree with everything I say, you're in the wrong church because I'm just teaching you what you already know. We should create venues. See, the church for generations, and we've been guilty as well, the church has created a poor substitute for transformation. It's this directive, do what I say, follow the rules, keep in line sort of thing. It doesn't lead to transformation. It's simply me telling you what to do. High-directive churches feel like they are producing something that looks like transformation because they're telling us, do this and you'll feel good. Do this and you'll feel bad. What they're actually doing is skipping step one, engage with God, missing step two, that fruit is the byproduct of it, and going straight to step three, do this for each other, do this for each other, do this for each other. But at New Life, we don't believe that's the way transformation happens. We want to get back to creating a venue for you to engage with God. And sometimes that looks like 
teaching series. Sometimes it looks like life groups. That's a good venue for you to engage with God. Sometimes it's through a ministry team. That's how you engage with God and ask big questions or a service project. We want to give you venues to keep engaging. Pastor Ron is going to start something that I'm so excited about. Next week, Ron's going to start a a month-long teaching that he created on his own. It's going to be the first time in four years that I have not preached for a month straight. And I'm so excited. I want to sit and listen with you and learn from Ron. He's talking about three words. The three words are this. Belong, behave, believe. And he's going to say that, I don't want to ruin it. I hope you're not listening, Ron. He's in Iowa right now. But he's going to say that however you order those three words goes a long way in you understanding what it looks like to engage with God. So he's going to talk about those three words, belong, believe, behave. And we're going to talk about what does it look like as a church and how we order these words and how that actually impacts our lives. But I can't wait. I'm going to sit with you and listen and learn from Ron. And I'm very excited about that opportunity. The second thing that the church is supposed to do is we're supposed to create safe venues for you to find community. And I know we trumpet community quite a bit. Here's why. Almost every one of those moments where you thought to yourself, this isn't me. This isn't me. That thing I just did, that's not who I want to be. That thing I'm thinking about, that's not what I want to be thinking about. That thing I just said, that's not me. Almost every time that happened, we were driven into isolation. It is the story of humanity. We do something that we think is not me. That's not who I want to be. It drives us into isolation. We saw it in the book of Genesis with the man and woman. They did something that was counter to who God created them to be. And the next thing they did, they hid. They were isolated. And one of the key roles of the church is to create safe venues for us to come out of hiding to be known and to be seen and to be accepted right where we are. Because it's in the knowing and the seeing that we're safe enough to actually engage with God and experience transformation. So we create venues. And that could be, depending on how you're wired, that could be a church service. You might love this. You might be that gal or that guy who, like your spouse, goes and sits in the car because you're here for 40 minutes after service talking to people. You love 100, 200 of us gathered together. So this might be part of your venue to create that safe place for community. For others of us, it's more of a small group or a life group dynamic, five, ten people. That's our community size. For others, it's one-on-one. You meet somebody in here, they seem like a good person, you go grab coffee with them, and that's your safe place. But listen, the church should be creating venues, safe places for you to form community. Because almost every part of your transformation process either happened in community or it was lived out in community. So every time you thought to yourself, this isn't who I want to be, it almost always led us into isolation. Every time we thought about, this is who I actually do want to be, it almost always leads us into relationships with others. We don't live in a vacuum, and we don't grow spiritually in a vacuum. The New Testament is full of what what we've come to call one another's of the Bible. Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear with one another's burdens laugh with one another, cry with one another, celebrate with one another. It's all about engagement. And so the church should be creating opportunities for us to do the one another's of the Bible. 
So we create places to engage. We create community. This is what you should look for in a good church. And then I believe that the church should be teaching us one skill and five narratives. The one skill is this. I hopefully you've caught it so far. How to engage with God. Not what to do. That's behavior modification. How to engage with God. So that he can teach us what to do. Behavior modification is one of the biggest misses of the church in the 21st century. We teach to do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. It does not lead to transformation. It just leads to better actions. But God has something much better than that counterfeit. He has transformation at the internal level, which leads to freedom. It's the difference between you coming into church and me telling you, if you're a, let's talk, guys, let's, husbands, let's talk for a second, because here's what I know about husbands. You really love some other dude telling you what to do, right? Church is such an odd thing, isn't it? You come in for the first time, and here's some guy telling you what to do. You don't know him. He's telling you what to do. So, husband, let's just talk for a minute, because I know you love it when people tell you what to do. I say to this husband, hey, bud, I see you there. Hey, love your wife and serve her. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, I'm going to love my wife and serve her. No one on their wedding day, I officiated a wedding last weekend, no one on their wedding day says, I'm sorry, no, I'm not going to love my wife and serve her. Nope. They'll say, yeah, that's a great idea in theory. And then you get to the moment where marriage is hard and kids are screaming and you haven't talked in a week and there's an invisible wall and you lay down in bed and it feels like you are a mile apart. In that moment, what's going to be better for you? I remember that Pastor Kevin said some one time, love my wife and serve her. Is that going to really like? Well, okay, that's what I'm going to do then. Or in that moment, would it be better for you to say, I have some tools on learning how to engage with God. So you go use these tools and you start engaging with God and the Holy Spirit says to you, I love you even when you look unlovable. In the same way, I'm going to grow your heart to love her, even though in your mind she feels unlovable right now. Which one gives your marriage a better shot? Spoiler alert, it's the second. It's the second. So we're trying to teach you how to engage with God, not just tell you what to do. Now we do that through all sorts of ways. We do verse-by-verse study through the Bible, through a book of the Bible. We do topical studies. But the goal of that is not to tell you what to do with your money, what to do in your marriage, what to do with your job. The goal of that is to give you a context to engage with the Holy Spirit and to engage with God. And then we teach five narratives. And a narrative is simply a story. Because all of us live out the stories that we write in our minds. All of us. Whatever story you write in your mind affects the life that you live. Here's what I mean. I tell, I'm, I'm, well, okay, I'm going to say, I think I'm funny. I think I'm funny. I, I genuinely crack myself up. But did you know that I actually intentionally am funny on stage? And here's why. If the story you write about my humor is this, this is why I am funny on stage. I'm just pulling back the curtain a little bit. I'm funny on stage because when people walk into church for the first time, if you have no church background, your walls are sky high. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? What are they going to make me drink? And then you drink grape juice and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> did they lace it? Like, there's a lot of questions. When do I stand? When do I sit? Who's the, who's the pastor? Where's the, where's the thing? You know, like we have all these questions. Our walls are sky high. And humor 
It's one of the best things to bring walls down. It's one of the best things. I want to talk to you guys again for a second. Guys, here's the thing. None of us likes other guys telling us what to do. Do you know that I use humor so that you will realize I'm not a threat to you? That you don't have to have your walls up around me? Here's what I know. I watch you and you walk in and you're like this. Like, I dare you. I dare you. Bring it on. And all of a sudden you start laughing and then you're like, <laughs> yeah, that was, or you're like, no, no, that was so bad. But if your narrative about me is that I use humor as a strategic opportunity to disarm our community so that we can then hear from God. And even if you don't like my particular brand of humor, you can respect it. On the other hand, if your narrative about me is that I use humor because I'm a class clown and I can't just carry a straight conversation without humor, then you're going to think I'm shallow and our church isn't deep enough, and sometime in the next two months, you're going to leave. Or you already have left. You see what I mean about narratives? Your narrative about my humor will affect what you do in this church. Narratives affect life. And so we're trying to teach five key narratives. The first is this. We want to teach you narratives about the Bible. How we understand the Bible impacts everything else. Is the Bible a law book? Is the Bible a rule book? Is the Bible an instruction manual? Is it a love story? Is it a guidebook? Whatever you and I believe about the Bible will shape everything else, including our view of God. Romans 10 tells us that faith in God comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. So we try to help shape narratives about the Bible. The second narrative we try to shape is our narrative about God. Because the most defining thing about you is what you believe about God. Even if you're here today and you believe there is no God, that will define everything about you. It'll define what you do with your money. It'll define how you live your life. It'll define what you think about death. So we try to help shape your narrative about God. We try to help shape your narrative about yourself. In relation to God, what do I believe about me? Am I primarily good, but do a few bad things? Am I primarily bad, but do a few good things? Am I defined by my worst moment, and does that follow me into my life? What defines me? Who am I? Or am I defined by God, by my relationship to him, by the fact that he calls me daughter, he calls me son? So we try to always talk about that narrative. We talk about the purpose of life here at church. Why are we here? And here's a big question. Why am I here? Why did God bring me to Sonoma County in 2017? Why am I here right now? So we try to help write narratives about the purpose of life, both our life as a church and your life individually. And the last is the purpose of the church. What's the role of the church? That's what I'm trying to lay out for us today. I want to wrap up by talking about your role in transformation. And yours is so much simpler than the church's. All you have to do is engage with God. That's your role. That's your job. Engage with God. Engage with God by engaging with the Holy Spirit. We talked earlier in this series about how to hear God's voice, how to understand if it's God speaking to you. We have to learn how to engage with the Holy Spirit. Engage with God by engaging with God's Word. God will never say things to us through his Holy Spirit that's counter to what he says in the Bible. 
The Bible's not just something that we should read for five minutes a day because it's part of our ritual or routine. The Bible creates a context for a framework of life. So your job is to engage with God by engaging with him in his word, by opening it up and saying, okay, God, speak to me. I want to understand what you're saying here. How does this apply to my life, to our community, to our family? Our jobs individually is to engage with God by engaging in community. Find your community. It could be through your life group. It could be through Sunday morning. It could be through serving. It could be by going out to breakfast and starting a coffee group. Pastor Ron talks about this Wednesday morning coffee group that he has at Pete's Coffee with a few guys. And it's not a life group. It's just a group of guys in the church, similar age and stage. They get coffee together and oatmeal, which I think it just cracks me up. It's like, here we are. A bunch of guys from their 60s eating oatmeal for breakfast. Like, you're playing into every narrative, guys. I know some of you are here. Listen, get ham and eggs. Just get ham and eggs. Oh, boy. That wasn't actually to disarm you. That just kind of fell out of my mouth. (laughs) Find your community. Find your community. You cannot grow in a vacuum. You were not created for isolation. You weren't. And I used to say it has to be life groups, life groups, life groups. Listen, if life groups aren't your thing, that's fine. Find your community. That's your job. That's not my job. That's not the church's job. Our job is to create spaces where you can find your community. And then express yourself. This is how we engage with God, by employing your God-given passions and gifts. And I'm not just talking about serving in the church. I'm going to do a series in August and September that I'm so excited about. I just finished this book. It was this big, long, kind of heady, theological, but really interesting book all about work and rest here's what the author said, that in working and in resting, we actually express the thumbprint of God. That we express ourselves and who God created us to be all over the place. The title of the book was Garden City, because he takes us from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis starts in a garden, Revelation ends in a city. And the tagline was work, rest, and the art of being human. So I'm going to teach us in August and September what it looks like to express ourselves in a holistic way through work and rest. But your job is to then do something with that. And finally, we engage with God by experimenting and trusting God as he reveals himself to us. This was last week's message on faith. Faith is simply trusting God enough to try without a guaranteed outcome. So I don't know what your next step is coming out of this series. But I believe God does. And I believe that as you engage with him, he'll reveal that to you. I'm finding more and more, see, I used to put next steps at the bottom of every sermon. Do this thing, do that thing. I'm finding more and more that that doesn't actually work. Now I would just say at the end of a sermon, hey, why don't you take this and engage with God this week around it? Because your next step might be experimenting with something. Forgiveness. Experimenting with generosity experimenting with community. Your next step might be expressing yourself by engaging in an area of community service or ministry or global engagement. I don't know what your next step is. Here's the step that I'm always leaving at the bottom now because in my mind, this is one of the key opportunities that we have to share with you. The next step that I always put at the bottom of our notes is 
take your next step to become a follower of Jesus. Because all of this process hinges on that moment. When you say to God, God, I want to be grafted into the vine. I actually want to begin this process of engagement with you. It doesn't mean you have everything all figured out. It simply means that you open the front door of your life and you invite God into the entryway. And then as God proves himself trustworthy, you open up the room to the living room and let him sit in there with you. And then he proves himself trustworthy in the living room, so you open up the closet and let him see the skeletons. And he proves that he's not going to condemn you when he sees your skeletons. And so you open up the bedroom. You say, here's my sexuality. Engage with me here, God. Then maybe you open up the vault. You say, here's my money. Teach me how to live open-handed and generously. This is the process of walking with Christ. You don't have to have it all figured out to say yes to him today. But your next step might be to open the door and just invite him in, into the entryway. Say, God, I'm going to trust you enough to invite you to speak because Jesus is a gentleman. He says, I'm standing at the door and knocking, but you have to open the door and then I'll come in and I'll feast with you. So maybe today that's your step. He's knocking. You open the door. You invite him in. If that is your next step, I'm going to pray right now and give you a chance to do that. So would you join me as we pray? Jesus, would you continue to guide this community of faith? I feel like as we head into year 20 as a church coming up here in February, I feel like we've learned so much. And at the same time, we are learning so much because we are a community that continues to engage with you. So would you show us at all levels, at our leadership levels, in our life group levels, in our ministry teams, individually, in families, would you show us more and more of what it actually looks like to walk in partnership with you every single day? And then would you continue to produce the good fruit of transformation in our lives as we do the one thing that Jesus asks us to do, which is engage? Simply remain in, in you, God. And friend, if you're here today and you're ready to begin a journey with God, to open up the front door of your life and invite God into the entryway and say, God, I'm trusting you enough to invite you in. And then invite God to begin to show you what it looks like to walk through the house of your life with him. Then you can just ask him right now. I'll give you a prayer. It's not some magic formula. It's a prayer you can pray to invite God in. If you're ready to do that, you can just repeat these words uh, quietly to yourself. Make them yours and invite God. Invite God into your life. You can say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you revealed your love for me by giving your life for me. And in the process of doing that, God, you made a way for me to come back to my heavenly Father. And I want, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? God, would you forgive me of my sin, those places where I have hurt myself and hurt others and ultimately have hurt my relationship with you? God, as you come into my life, would you begin the process of healing me from the places where the, the pain of others has damaged me? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.